So verse 7. It is not because... Now here's the other... Now here's the reason. If you think this is about favorites, once again, this next paragraph answers that question. It is not because you were more numerous than all the peoples that Yahweh favored you and chose you for the fact that you were the least numerous of all the people. Rather, it's because of his love for you and his faithfulness to the promises he solemnly vowed to your ancestors that Yahweh brought you out of the great power, redeeming you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. So realize that Yahweh your God is a true God, the faithful God who keeps covenant faithfully with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, but who pays back those who hate him as he deserves and destroys them. And he will not ignore those who hate him, but will repay them as they deserve. So keep the commandment statutes and ordinances that I today am commanding you to do. So if you think that God is doing this for you because you were some great, awesome nation that everybody liked, then you're fooling yourself. You're actually one of the most pathetic people on the earth. <laughs> this isn't about paying, playing favorites. This isn't about giving the, the more to the most. This is about God taking the least significant, the most pathetic nation and turning them into the greatest because that demonstrates his glory. And it also was all about the fact that he loved them. And he's going to go on later and make the point that you are not lovable. You're not good moral people. You are not faithful to me. You're not a powerful nation. There's no reason in yourself that would ever make me pick you or love you. I picked you and I love you because I love you. Period. This isn't about picking the best person for the kickball team. This is about God picking that kid who has literally no skills and is completely rejected and alone sitting underneath the tree when everybody's playing and saying, you're going to be on my team because of what I can do for you and because I love you. This is not about favoritism. This is not about favoritism. You need to realize that. Why does he punish the Canaanites? Because he hates sin. It has nothing to do with Israel. Israel is God's tool in the conquest. That's it. Israel is the flood. Israel is the plagues. Israel is whatever God wants to use. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with Israel. And you need to understand that because every other war is about the person initiating the war. It's not about executing justice. Now, has God used wars to punish evil? Yes. But was that why the war was initially initiated? No. Verse 12. If you obey these ordinances and are careful to do them, Yahweh your God will faithfully keep covenant with you as he promised your ancestors. He will love and bless you and make you numerous. He will bless you with many children, with the produce of your soil, your grain, your new wine, your oil, and your offspring of your oxen and the young of your flocks and the land. And he promised your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed beyond all peoples. There will be no barrenness among you and your livestock. And Yahweh will protect you from all sickness. And you will not experience any of the terrible diseases that you knew in Egypt. Instead, he will inflict them on all those who hate you. So if you will love him and keep covenant faithfulness, he will bless you with everything you can imagine. Once again, you must understand that this does not mean, this is not a promise to every individual. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Because I can show you many examples where they are being obedient, and yet individual righteous people will suffer. For example, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
He is not promising individual health, wealth, and prosperity. Joseph is another example. Lots of people are going to individually go through trials. What he's promising is this to a people group, a nation, the economy, a corporate people. Will there, I mean, Jesus made clear, there will always be the poor. Will there still be poor and all those people in the land? Yes, that's why God tells you to take care of them. No matter how obedient they are and how much God blesses them, they're still going to be poor, they're still going to be people suffering, and God commands them to take care of those people. He's not promising this to individuals. He's promising this to the nation. The nation as a whole is going to experience these incredible blessings, which means when there are individual exceptions in the land, because we live in a fallen world, the people as a whole will be so abundantly wealthy with these resources and health, it'll be so easy for them to take care of those individual cases of suffering and poverty. But when they are disobedient and the entire nation is going into desperation and depression and they're suffering economically in health, then it becomes impossible to take care of the weak and the unhealthy and the poor because they all are that. Because you need to understand, he's not promising to bring a utopian society. He's promising to bring a healthy, incredibly abundantly blessed nation who then will act like God to all the individual exceptions. And why will they act like God to all the individual exceptions? Because they're already so faithful to Yahweh that they're getting all these blessings. If they were not faithful enough to take care of the poor, then they would not be faithful enough to the covenant to get the blessings, and they wouldn't have anything to give to the people. Does that make sense? This is a cycle that he's creating here. If you are obedient to me, I will bless you. And when I bless you, you are to be a blessing to everybody within your country and outside of your country. And the more that you do that, then the more I will bless you. That's how it works. That's how it works. This is not individualistic prosperity promises. This is corporate national promises of prosperity. That then the individuals are to take care of all the other individuals that are supposedly falling through the cracks because we live in a fallen world. And we know that because it commands that over and over and over and over again throughout the law. Does this make sense? Now, this is what you must understand. I'm not saying America is the chosen people. We're not. But America is full of the chosen people, the church. And we are not under the law anymore, but the law called the Holy Spirit is now living inside of us, which means the same principles are to be flowing through us, which means that when you say, God bless America, and when we have this great abundance that is given to us that very few countries have, then you are meant to take care of the individual exceptions. That is clearly commanded. Social justice is one of the primary drums that God beats over and over again. And you are called to take your abundance, that what God has blessed you with, and to become a blessing to the people around you. Now, are you meant to fix every single problem there is? No, we can't do it. No individual can meet every need. 
Are you meant to feel guilty for needs that you can't meet? No. But you are to pray to God for a particular passion, for a particular situation. And trust God will put a a different passion and a different Christian's heart so that when the entire corporate body of the church comes together, we're truly meeting the needs, holistically. This is another place where the church has failed because we, we were originally the welfare. We originally were all these taking court. We were the orphanages. But we have slowly turned these things over to the government. We stopped taking care of the poor and allowed welfare to do it. We stopped taking care of the orphanage and allowed the state to do it. And over and over we kept surrendering these things. And then we have the audacity to turn around on Facebook and get really mad when the government's screwing it all up. Well, look at the... the, the, the the whole foster care program is all screwed up and the state is mistreating kids and they're all abandoned. Well, what did you expect from non-Christians? Are we as individuals meant to fix all this? No. But should the church come together and start becoming what God has called them? Yes. What does that look like to put that into practice in this complicated political mess to this day? I have no idea. But is it important enough that we should come together and start brainstorming? Yes. And are there Christians out there who are beginning to wake up and realizing this brainstorming? Yes. And so those are people that you can start joining. There's lots of people who are figuring it out. And they're getting it done. They just need a lot more help. They don't need you to figure it all out. They have. They need more hands. And so the reality is, this is what God has called us to. You are blessed for the purpose of of blessing others. And this country has been blessed with an incredible amount of abundance, but we've turned that abundance on our self-entertainment. Now, once again, I'm not saying it's wrong to be entertained and go on vacation and all that kind of stuff because we don't want to swing the pendulum too far the other way. Okay, there are some Christian books right now who are making you feel guilty if you are living in anything more than a cardboard box because you should be giving it all away. That's not the God who says, I'm giving you a land with vineyards and houses and things that you did not build, a land full of abundance and blessings, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's not my God. My God gives us abundance. But my God also doesn't expect us to just hoard all the abundance and spend it on myself all the time. Does that make sense? And that's why the only person I should be asking what I should be doing with my money is God. And if God tells you to sell everything, then do it. If God says you don't have to sell it all, but take this and do it over here, then do it. That's his choice, not mine. I don't need to write a book and make you feel guilty. I'm just laying the principles out. And so the reality is we should be turning the blessings on other people. But that's hard. Because media is powerful even in our own lives. Media is powerful. Verse 16. You must destroy all the people whom Yahweh your God is about to deliver over to you. You must not pity them or worship their gods, for that will be your snare to you. Once again, that's the motivation and snaring. If you think these nations are more numerous than I, how can I dispossess them? You must not fear them. You must carefully recall 
what Yahweh your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. So when you walk in the land and you get overwhelmed with their size and their numbers and you think, oh my gosh, how in the world are we ever going to do this? You must remember what God has already done for you with Egypt. This is nothing compared to Egypt. This is nothing compared to Egypt. The great judgments you saw, the signs and the wonders, the strength and the power by which he brought you out, thus Yahweh your God will do all the people you do to all the people you fear. Furthermore, Yahweh your God will release hornets among them until the very last um, ones who hide from you perish. Now, he doesn't mean literal hornets. It's a metaphor of just absolute destruction. You must not tremble in their presence, for Yahweh your God, who is present among you, is great and awesome God. He, the God who leads you, will expel the nations little by little. You will not be allowed to destroy them all at once, lest the wild animals overrun you. Yahweh your God will give them over to you. He will throw them into a great panic until they are destroyed. He will hand over their kings to you, and you will erase their very names from memory. Nobody will be able to resist you until you destroy them. This is good advice for us too. I have to admit that my default is to look at this country and become overwhelmed with fear. My default is to think, oh my gosh, how are we going to fix any of these systems? The immigration system, the orphan system, the poverty system, like where am I? And even right now, I really want to get my girls involved in this kind of stuff, but I'm overwhelmed right now with thinking like, how am I going to control three little girls, let alone get them involved in something? And I know that's an excuse, and we're trying to do little things here and there, and I don't need to do it all at once, because right now my primary goal is to train them up. But I need to start exposing them to this kind of ministry and that kind of stuff too, so they catch it young. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed. It's very easy to think that I'm just a drop in the bucket. It's very easy to think, how am I going to accomplish this as a parent? It's hard enough to do some things in my own house, let alone in an uncontrolled environment. But the reality is God says... Don't be afraid. Don't look at how numerous they are. Only look at what I'm able to accomplish. If I can defeat death on the cross, then I can manage three little girls in a ministry that might think like, how are you ever going to make a difference in this neighborhood? And we need to remind ourselves of that. Now, once again, I need to be praying to God and letting him tell me, where do I take my family? What do I do with them? But too often I allow fear to be an excuse or an overwhelming challenge, rather than the reality is, yeah, even if we muck it all up, (laughs) even if it doesn't go well, we're at least out there being obedient. We're out there taking care of people. And you need to remember that God has brought us into a land that feels very overwhelming. And he's saying to you, do not be afraid. If you seek him, he will give you victory. He will give you victory. But he also says, I'm not going to do this all at once. Because the reality is they are a very small group of people. And they're going to go into the land. If they kill everybody at once, they're going to be overgrown by the wild animals and all the plants. And they're not going to be able to take care of the fields. They're not going to be able to keep the lions and the tigers and the bears back. And the reality is, he says, therefore, this is going to be a gradual, multi-generational project so that you will not become overwhelmed because I know that I can do anything, but you don't always believe that. And so it will be a gradual progress and it will be gradually done so that you're not overwhelmed and so the land doesn't overtake you. 
And so this should be encouraging. We don't have to fix all the world's problems. You were never called to fix the world's problems. You were meant to take your gifts and your blessings and share them with other people. You were meant to take your testimony and share it with other people. You let God make all the changes. You let God make all the changes. But too often we're crippled by fear or we're overwhelmed by having to change the world. You don't have to change the world. You don't have to change the world. All you have to do is take what God has gifted you in and go where God has told you and just do what you love doing with those people. And don't be overwhelmed. Don't be overwhelmed. And if it is gradual, then it's okay. Now, that's kind of depressing sometimes, but it doesn't mean that your ministry is failing. It doesn't mean your ministry is failing or that you're failing. You, verse 25, must burn the images of their gods, but do not cover the silver and the gold that covers them so much that you take it for yourselves and thus became ensnared by it. For it is abhorrent to gavel your God. You must not bring any abhorrent thing into your house and thereby become an object of divine wrath along with it. You must absolutely detest and abhor it, for it is an object of divine wrath. Now, this is the thing. You must look at the culture you're going into and you must be horrified by it. You must watch the movies, listen to the music, and you must be horrified by it. Here's the big difference between America and Israel, other than not being the chosen people. Israel was the chosen people in the chosen land. They were commanded by God to clean up their backyard. Anything that they saw in their land that was not of God, they were being horrified by it, and they were completely to destroy it all. But they were never given permission to go to anybody else's nation or anybody else's backyard and be horrified and judgmental and exterminate them and clean up their backyard. Does that make sense? God gave them a land. That land, God put his name on it. And God says you have every right to harshly exterminate anything that is abhorrent to God so that you do not become corrupt. Do not allow this land to not reflect the image of God. You are to expand the garden. But they were never, ever, 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 ever given permission to go to anybody else's country and condemn them, exterminate, or judge anything that they did in their culture. What they were meant to be was so holy, so pure, so like God in their own backyard that God would bless them so abundantly that the other nations would look out from their backyards over their fence at Israel and say, wow, that's an amazing backyard. That's an amazing economy. That's an amazing medical system. That's an amazing poverty system that you've got going. That's an amazing everything. And because everybody knew that the gods were always responsible for everything that happened in everybody's life because there's no such thing as free choice in their way of thinking, the next question of their head would be, who's your God? Now here's the problem. We're not in the chosen land. We're in the pagan land. This is not our land. You were never given permission to go in anybody else's backyard and clean it up and judge them and condemn them and be horrified by them. You were called to clean up your backyard. 
So the reality is your home and your church is the lamb. And you're meant to be so obedient to God and so not like the world. You don't do your media in your church and your family like the world does. You don't copy their posters. You don't copy their images. You don't copy their logos. You are to be absolutely unique. You are to be a blessing to the people in your church. They will know you by the way that you love each other. Talking to believers. And we are to become so holy, so blessed by God, so taking care of our own, that the world will look at us and say, wow, how do you pull off what we're going through multiple presidents trying to figure out? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in politics. I'm not saying you shouldn't be out there. I mean, you are called to expand the garden. But we are first and foremost supposed to look like the garden and attract people into our garden. Then, when we have a very immaculate garden, we will have more of a voice when we say, well, have you ever tried doing it this way? Maybe you should do it this way. But right now, when we stand up there and cry out abortionists and homosexual lovers and all these things, and we're mean and we're cruel in our morality, and we don't even treat each other well on Facebook and that kind of stuff, and we've got the same problems, our divorce rate is the same. In fact, do you know what most people check on the religion survey of when they're having abortions? Protestant and Catholic. The most people, when they go in and have an abortion, it's our children, not the world's children. And so the reality is we're supposed to be doing so right, but instead we're yelling at other nations, we're yelling at other people, and we're condemning them when we're judging them, and we're not even taking care of our own backyard as a whole. God never called us to be political like that. Now, I'm not, now we don't go the other extreme either and circle the wagons and say, oh, you're saying we're not to be involved in any of this stuff. No, 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 no. Because Christ comes along and calls us to go into the world. See, Israel is called to stay in one place and shine and attract everybody to them. We were called to go into the world. You know why there's a difference? Because we have the Holy Spirit. Israel didn't have the Holy Spirit. They had no law in their heart keeping them from being corrupt. We have the God himself in us, helping us convict us and speak to us. We can pray at any moment. Now, it doesn't mean you go on your own because the church is still a corporate body, but it means that we can build our houses in those neighborhoods and do it. But you were never called to condemn your neighbor for worshiping his car. Howard Hendricks says this. I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but he's a very respected Christian. He says, even if you successfully condemn that guy for worshiping his car, waxing it every Saturday and taking care of it, put all this money into it, and he feels guilty enough to give it up because somehow you have that influence in his life to destroy his hobby, what is he going to do? He's just going to fill it with another God. The goal is to show them why Christ is superior to all other options. And the first place that begins is in your own life. And the minute you start judging and condemning and trashing people and throwing up signs and going on marches and all that kind of stuff, and I'm not saying there's never a time for that, but most of the time when we do that, it's not done in love. I've never really been to a protest or seen anything on television that I've said, wow, that was really done in love. I've never really seen any political comments on Facebook from Christians. I've thought, wow, that was said in a very loving way. 
Ephesians says, speak the truth in love. And if you're not in the house of love, then shut the crap up. That's my translation. <laughs> the reality is, this is what we're called to. Now, have I arrived? Am I doing this perfectly? No. But we need to change the way that we think if we're going to change the way that we act. And this is what God, you need to understand. Yes, we're not under the law. Yes, America is not the chosen people. But the same heart of God that's writing out these principles is the same heart of God that is now indwelling in you and trying to implement these principles into our life as a church. And the reason we've lost a voice in America as a church overall is because we haven't voiced the voice correctly. Now, I'm, I know that there's lots of Christians who are doing it. I'm not condemning every Christian. I'm not condemning anybody. And I'm not saying I've done this all perfectly. I've just, in the last several years, I've been watching things and I begin to realize this is not healthy. This is not biblical. And if it was healthy and biblical, then America would look drastically different right now. We need to really, truly... And the first place I would start is really, truly start praying before you post anything on Facebook. There's a lot of things that go on Facebook that shock me from Christians. From Christians. That's why I don't say anything. If you really want to understand God's mission for you, you've got to go back to the law and understand how God was communicating it to Israel. The problem is we rip these things out of context. And America has a long history saying, we're the new chosen people. No, it doesn't say that. Or we're supposed to exterminate the Canaanites. And that took different forms throughout history. No, it doesn't say that. You're missing the principles that underline these things, the principles. We're not under the direct commands of the law anymore, but we are still under the principles of the law. We are a different people group. We have different ways of executing the same principles.